0: thanksgiving for of this you can be sure no immoral impure or greedy person such a person is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God let no one deceive you with empty words for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient therefore do not be partners with them for you were once darkness but now This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is.
1: Thank you to Pastor Brian Williams, our young adults pastor for reading the Scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 5, or if you have a a mobile device or an app, go ahead and and pull that out as we we return to Ephesians chapter 5. By way of recap, we've been examining chapters 1 through 3, and we've been looking at dealing with who we are positionally before God in Christ. We're looking at who we are and examining the doctrinal, the philosophical, the theological elements of who we are in Christ. In chapters 4 through 6, we will be examining how we live in Christ. Early on in chapter 4, you will remember that we looked at how our lives should reflect who we are in Christ in a practical way, and that we are to walk worthy of that. In essence, another way to think of it is... It is in reality where the rubber meets the road." The title of the message today is Imitating Christ.
2: Hold on, hold on just a minute, hold on. <clears throat> I, I slip back there for a moment, then you come out and do this, <laughs> Ryan O'Quinn. Um, uh, this is Ryan O'Quinn, who's a part of the Calvary family, and uh, <clears throat> he says what he's doing is impersonating me. Uh, he's a comedian and an actor and an impersonator. At least that's yeah, so. what you claim you do, yes. <laughs> a little hard to see yourself impersonated, um, but as, as we've talked before, <laughs> I'm very, last night... <laughs> As I was teaching, I kept going, oh, no, that's what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> self-conscious. But we, I'm very self-conscious. <laughs> um, as we were talking even earlier this week, and we talked about this a couple of years ago... Uh, You you told me there are some things about impersonating, like uh, Rich Little, Man of a Thousand Voices, or Dana Carvey, some of these uh, who just made a career of that. You said there's kind of some ways they do that. Share that with us a little bit. Sure,
1: absolutely. Well, you know, at risk of of divulging trade secrets, obviously, uh, one of the key things is to, in as much as you can, uh, you know, marry the outside, but also to really pick two or three characteristics, uh, cadence of a voice, uh, a gait or a walk, or... Uh, Lean a, a, hand, <laughs> <laughs> a hand gesture, but the key is to exaggerate that. So yeah. obviously, to the onlooker, I'm exaggerating that in order to give an air of that's so you're who not that
2: looking for everything. You're just looking to. It's really find from the outside things yeah. that will catch people's attention, either fool them or make them smile or laugh exactly. at those exaggerated characteristics. And that really does help us with the passage we're looking at that he talked about and even sort of introduced for us. So thank you so much, thank Ryan, you. for <laughs> helping us today. Thank <laughs> you. Pleasure. I, I want to talk about the difference between impersonating Christ and, and imitating Christ. If you do have your Bibles, as he mentioned, go there in your Bible or mobile device. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll be looking at these first 17 verses of the chapter. And I want us to understand the difference between imitating Christ and impersonating Christ. We have far too many believers in the world who impersonate Jesus. They may exaggerate a few of the qualities on the outside, but then when push comes to shove, they fall easily to temptation or they are overwhelmed with uh, trials of this life because they were merely impersonating him rather than imitating him. And we read in Ephesians chapter five, verse one, it says, follow God's example. Some of you in your translations, it reads, be imitators of God. The idea here is that we are to reflect him we're to imitate God, and we know that God sent his son Jesus to walk in human flesh, and so he became the living embodiment and example for us. If we're going to imitate God, we then imitate and reflect Christ. But again, there's a danger if we're merely impersonating, finding a few characteristics that we exaggerate so people perceive or think we are like that person And then again, when push comes to shove, we collapse because we weren't imitating Christ. There's a difference between impersonating and imitating. Imitating Christ is when you have healthy followers of Christ who seek to be like him on the outside through deep transformation on the inside. They're seeking to be like Christ. Yes, they want people to see Jesus on the outside, but they are being transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 talks about how the spirit of God transforms us from one stage to the other so that we reflect Christ. We reflect God, we reflect the kingdom values. The the kingdom is shining through us, the heavenly kingdom that Jesus prayed about. It's through this deep transformation, the spirit of God, as we open God's word, as we talk to him in prayer, as we we carry out the spiritual disciplines, as we have the community of believers speaking into our lives. More and more, we are transformed from the inside out. That's imitating Christ. Whereas impersonating Christ This involves unhealthy followers of Christ who pretend to be like him on the outside with little or no change on the inside. We don't need any more impersonators of Jesus. We need people who imitate Christ. They're being transformed from the inside out. And I believe in Ephesians 5, 1 through 17 We're given three areas where that deep change takes place inside of us and then this deep change comes out so that our neighbors, our friends, our family, our coworkers see the reality of Christ in us not because we're pretending to be like Christ but we are being transformed into the image of Christ. We are imitating Christ, not impersonating him. The first area that the world should see Christ in us through this transformation is radical love. Radical love. Throughout the book of Ephesians, there are several occasions where we're told to walk in a certain way. In the passage we're looking at today, three of the seven references of how we're to walk are found. In chapter 4, verse 1, it it talked about how we're to walk together in unity with other believers. Chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul told the Ephesian church that we're to walk in holiness. Now in chapter 5, And uh, the opening verses here in verses 5 and 2, we're told to walk in the way of love. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, verse 1. Verse 2, and walk in the way of love. This has the idea that you walk around in the sphere, in the realm of love. This is where you travel. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Jesus himself has shown me radical love. He's shown you radical love. And we need to embrace and internalize that love of God so much so that it transforms our hearts and we become compassionate like Christ. We become people of mercy like Christ. We become forgiving. We begin to see people, even the vilest of sinners, through the eyes of love as we are transformed by that love that saved us daily as we walk with him, and then we demonstrate this same love. What was was Christ's love like? Well, these first two verses really give us a sense of the heart of Christ's radical love. Number one, it was selfless. Selfless. We read, gave himself up for us, in verse two. It's selfless. Even the word love that's used here, agapao means others-oriented, God-like love. Putting others first, not ourselves. It calls for humility and a spirit that was like Christ. And Paul describes that in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Selfless love. Jesus loved me selflessly and I need to begin to be transformed in that same humility that I can love people that are hard for me to love, putting them first. Even putting our enemies first. Loving them first like Christ loved us. Secondly, this radical love is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. Again, he gave himself up for us. And then the last part of verse two, a sacrifice to God. Jesus became that substitutionary sacrifice. He took the punishment I deserve as he was hanging on the cross. He was buried he was raised to new life so I could have life in him. But he took my place. He showed me sacrificial love. He's shown you sacrificial love if you know Christ as your Savior, you can rejoice and be grateful for the radical love of Christ that has saved you, how he saved you through his sacrifice. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can today. You can know God and have a relationship with him, not because of your own good works or what you do to try to achieve it, but you can know God and have a relationship with him and begin to walk in love and begin to walk in his kingdom by putting your faith in the one who loved you so much he gave himself for you. When you put your faith in Jesus, then God shows you his love in a practical way and picks you up out of the kingdom of darkness and puts you into the kingdom of light He makes you his child now and forever. And you begin to live out then his kingdom values as you live in love like Jesus in the world if i can help you in any way when it comes to your relationship with god and what it means to trust jesus as your savior i'll be in the lobby afterwards love to speak with you after each service our care and prayer team are down front to pray with you about any need and they can talk to you about receiving christ as your savior if you're joining us online and maybe in the room it's it's much easier for you just to simply text the name jesus to the number below me on the screen we want to we want to help you know that you know Jesus, that you understand the sacrifice he made so that you could be right with God. And when you text that number with the name Jesus as the body of the message, we'll connect with you and send you some resources right away and follow up with you this week to help you know that you understand why Jesus died and what that means in your life, or you can know him as your Savior. His love was sacrificial. Jesus himself put it this way in John 15, 12 through 13. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is sacrificial love. That's radical love. And then thirdly, it's not only selfless and sacrificial, but this radical love is sweet. It's sweet you know, in the ancient world and even some parts of our modern world and areas that are developing on, on planet Earth, you can't escape some of the odors and the stench. In the ancient world, most everywhere smelled pretty bad. Even when there would be sacrifices at the temple or earlier in the tabernacle, there would be a stench from that sacrifice. And so there'd be a sacrifice of fragrances that would bring about this sweet aroma that they would smell and was to remind them of the sweet sacrifice to God and there is a sweetness in the love of Christ we see this here again in verse 2 he gave himself up for us a fragrant offering a sweet smell you see when we embrace and internalize the love of God then we begin to see people through the heart and compassion of Christ And we begin to love others, even our enemies, as Christ has loved us. There is a selflessness to that, putting others first. There is a sacrificial nature to that where we give up. It costs us something to love people. And then there is something so sweet. We leave an aroma with those we love that is sweet. Paul described that even in 2 Corinthians and in Colossians as he wrote letters to the church at Corinth and Colossae. He, he emphasized there, too, that we're to be this sweet fragrance before others and unto God. Where the people you work with, where the people you have discussions with online say, oh, yeah, they leave a sweet fragrance. Even if I disagree with them, even if we, we disagreed on things, they were so, so loving So radical in their love for me, so different than anything else I've experienced in the world that it leaves this sweet aroma with me. Our uh, kids are growing out of the house. Now, our son John lives in Brooklyn. He's our oldest, our youngest. Megan lives here locally and works as a tutor at Oaks Christian. And and, uh, our uh, middleest, as we call her, Katie, lives in Chicago. When she graduated from Wheaton College there, she got a job that next week at the Japanese consulate in Chicago. And so she works for the Japanese Foreign Ministry, helping uh, them understand American politics. That's her job. Can you imagine? <laughs> she moved downtown uh, for about a year in, in a building right down in what's the Fulton Market area near the river there, an area that's being redeveloped. And um, right across the street is a, a factory called Blommer Chocolate Company. Been there since 1939. So they make these wonderful chocolates that can be bought in the chicago area and and they have three shifts they're making chocolate all the time and so for about a four block radius it smells like someone is baking cookies 24 7. not cookies brownies it smells like brownies you, you know when you're walking a house and just smells like brownies and just smells so great and so you know you walk around in her neighborhood or just when we would go visit her you feel like you're gaining five or ten pounds just as you inhale because you're smelling brownies you know, even as I'm talking to you and I think about that apartment where she lived and that building, I have this connection to the smell. It's so sweet. It's so wonderful. She's moved from there. And I'm thinking about when we visit her in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be there for a day. I'm, I'm thinking about just going over to her old neighborhood and taking a deep <laughs> breath to take in that sweet smell. You see, the Lord has loved us so much there's this sweet fragrance and we're to be people that even when we disagree with folks and we see things differently, we're to leave with them a sweet fragrance that is the love of God emanating and permeating from us into the lives of others. Let me ask you a question here. When it comes to your sacrificial love, you see some might put it so simply as we're supposed to be kind. And the Spirit of God transforms us from the inside and makes us kind to others. Are you being kind in the radical love that flows from you from the inside out that is selfless, sacrificial, and sweet? Are you being kind? As a a body, I think we've had opportunities recently together in a corporate way to be kind, You've been so generous in our Ukrainian relief and we're looking for more ways to develop more partners and to invest in a strategic way and to be good stewards of what God has given us. We're getting those funds out the door as strategically and wisely as we possibly can to make an impact both with those who are still in Ukraine and those who are in the surrounding areas. And so recently we gave a large gift from our Ukrainian fund to one of our local partners here that reaches out around the world, the Children's Hunger Fund. They work through local churches in the United States and all over the world to get basic food supplies and needs to people through a mercy network of churches where churches are trained how to take this food to people in need. And they might show up monthly or weekly with food to people, and they do that in Jesus' name. And we have given them resources through your generosity through the Ukraine Relief Fund so that we can make a difference in the lives of people inside Ukraine their their network in Ukraine their map shows them in various parts of Ukraine itself and all of them as of just a few days ago all of those churches are still receiving supplies inside Ukraine and are giving those supplies and basic hygiene things Uh, Items to folks inside the country. And I read some of the stories of pastors who are part of this and the blessing they have, even while the war is going on, to still get food to people. And then they're doing that in Romania. Now they're partnering with churches in Poland and Moldova because we've got four million refugees now outside of the country. And through local churches, they're, they're getting them basic food needs and helping people who are taking in. One pastor working with the Children's Hunger Fund said he's taking in 30 to 40 people into their church family every day who are coming from Ukraine. And he talked about the importance these supplies are to them. And this is a way for us in what's going on around the world with people we may never meet to show the kindness and love of Christ corporately, and that's important. And then even here, we've been able to do that locally together. Friday night, we had the joy unleashed of our special abilities ministry, and we had 106 teenagers and young adults who uh, grapple with a special need, a disability, and, and our special abilities ministry holds this. 106, we call them VIPs, people that can easily be marginalized in society but are near and dear to the heart of God. And if we're gonna love like Jesus loved, we gotta love people that others struggle to love and push to the fringes. We had 106 VIPs and then 106 uh, high schoolers and, and uh, some young adults and all who were their dates And loved on them and spent the evening with them. And I came and spent about a half hour to 45 minutes taking it in I had tears as I left seeing young people who are part of Calvary loving on, being kind to people that can be easily marginalized in our community and in our world that's being kind. And then we're not only to do that corporately together, but we're supposed to be kind and loving with people we disagree with politically, people we disagree with uh, theologically, people we disagree with for a variety of reasons. We're to leave with them the sweet aroma of sacrificial, selfless, Christ-like, radical love at work, in our neighborhood, online, social media, let me ask you again, are you being kind? Would the people you interact with online say, yeah, we disagree, but he is so kind. She is so sweet. When I think of her, I think of just the, the kindness of God emanating from that person. Maybe the Holy Spirit's saying to you, no, that's not you then perhaps you're just impersonating Christ. You're not imitating Christ. You need to ask the Spirit of God to fall fresh on you, to mold you, to melt you, and to shape you, and make you more like Jesus, having the heart of compassion and love of Christ, even for people you disagree with. You can have disagreements, but they got to know that you love them like Jesus loves them. Radical love emanates from someone who is imitating God, imitating Christ. Secondly, moral clarity. Moral clarity is a part of of imitating God, of reflecting and imitating Christ in our world today. Moral clarity. And Jesus said this about himself in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, I am the light of the world. You follow me and you'll begin to work and and live in this, this realm of light. There's something different. I'll call you out of the darkness into the light. And then you, he said, you will be lights to shine, he said in the Sermon on the Mount, so that others can see me in you. Look at verses three through 14. Listen to the moral clarity of this passage. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, not even a hint. You say, well, what is sexual immorality? Some today say it's just monogamy. It doesn't matter what else you do, who you do it with. It's just monogamy. No, the scriptures are clear. There is a pattern and there's a teaching in scripture that God intends the gift of sexuality to be expressed between a man and a woman within the bonds of marriage. And any other form of sexual intimacy and expression falls into this category of sexual immorality. Then he's talking here to the church. Sometimes we're so concerned about taking a stand in the culture that we don't walk the way God calls us to walk in life as the followers of Jesus. This says, it, uh, but among you, there mustn't even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. It shouldn't be abuse or greed, the impurity of racism, the impurity of having a callousness toward life and the sanctity of life because these are improper for God's holy people. He has made us righteous, as we've seen in chapters 1 through 3. Now I'm gesturing, and I'm all of a sudden feeling like I'm Ryan O'Quinn here, (laughs) getting self-conscious. Chapters 1 through 3, we did talk about who we are before Christ. We're clothed in the righteousness. God looks at us and sees us as holy, and now that needs to be lived out in our lives. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. We saw that in chapter four, verse twenty-nine. What we say is important, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. He said in chapter four, verses twenty-nine to thirty-two. He's he's talking about watch what you say. Don't let improper language come from your mouth, but that which is encouraging. Now he's saying, watch what you say, because you should be known for how grateful and thankful you are, not for your filthy language or the obscenities or or coarse, coarse joking. That's not right. It's out of place, he says, in the life of the believer. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You can't live consistently in this pattern without the conviction of the Spirit of God and say, I know I'm God's child. You need to examine your life. If you can live in, in greed and lust and arrogance, unchecked, that means you do not have, it's a good indication you do not have the Holy Spirit of God in you, that you don't know Jesus. Verse 6 let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Don't get caught up in the ideas and the philosophy of this world that's coming through the media, it's coming through entertainment, it's coming through education, it's coming through all kinds of sources. Because all of that stuff that's apart from Christ and God and and how God reveals himself in the word of God, all of that falls under his wrath. And it shouldn't be named among us. Verse seven, therefore do not be partners with them. Verse eight, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Our lives should be set on walking around in the light so that we please God, and we need to find out what pleases the Lord. A lot of us are very concerned about the culture. I'm concerned about the culture and the drift that comes in so many areas of morality. But the scriptures are constantly addressing us to say we need to be in the light. Far too many voices that speak to the culture. We find out later that, yeah, they were against this and they were for these values, but then they were privately living in darkness. If we want to see the world changed, our culture changed to reflect the values and, and the love of Christ, it's us living in the light, it's us having moral clarity. The scriptures are concerned about how we live more than the scriptures are concerned about how our culture lives because how we live is the lead indicator and the lag indicator is what it does to change our world. There is a clarity we're called to. Find out what pleases the Lord. Live, there's that live, that's actually that word walk again. Walk as children of the light, verse 8. You were once in darkness, but he picked you up and put you into the light. You're now his children. Now you live in a way that goodness, righteousness, and truth flows from your life. With moral clarity, two things happen. Number one, it expresses what is good, right, and true. What is good, right, and true should be seen in us. We need to understand that the walk we live in our world is far more important than the stand we take in our culture. Because the walk we live in our world, combined with the radical love of Christ will transform any neighborhood, any city, any state, any nation, any point, any part of the world at any point in history. I graduated from seminary 30 years ago next month it saddens me that there were a lot of my friends who preached the clarity of moral, morality based on the scriptures. And some spoke to the culture and they had great opportunity to speak to the culture. And some of those I graduated from seminary with weren't walking in the light themselves. And so hypocrisy evolved in their lives. And, and then there was a collapse and the world looked and said, what's going on there? Oh yeah, they talk morality, they tell us we need these rules, we need these laws, but they're not even living by them. We need to spend time as followers of Christ, as the church in our nation, in our world today, we need to spend time making sure that we are allowing the Spirit of God to mold us and shape us and to express through our lives as he changes us from the inside out, our thoughts, our behaviors, our attitudes, our relationships, as he transforms us, then people will see what is good, right, and true, those things that please the Lord flowing through us, and that will impact our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family. That will impact our neighborhood, our community, our state, our nation, and our world. I think sometimes we worry so much about what our neighbors are doing, and we're not walking in the light as we're called to walk in the light. The second thing that happens with moral clarity is it exposes what is bad, wrong, and fake. It exposes what is bad, wrong, and fake. Look at verse 11. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. Do you see the clarity of this? In verse 3, he said there should be no hint of sexual immorality. Now, in verse 11, he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. By the way in which you live in the light, people will see the reality of what it means to value life, what it means to avoid greed, what it means to love all equally and have no part with racism, what it means to live sexually pure lives before God. And then it exposes their greed their immorality, their racism. It exposes it as we live in the light, as he's called us to live in the light. Verse 12, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. We're not even supposed to joke about it or make fun of it. And, and too many voices in the church that speak to the culture in our day do it with a mocking tone, a belittling tone. We're not even to speak of those things that they do in secret, but everything, verse 13, exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. In the new life we have in Christ, that life that comes in and changes us from the inside out, we not only are transformed into the radical love of Christ, but we begin to demonstrate the moral clarity of Christ in how we live. See, moral clarity expresses what is good, right, and true, but it exposes what is bad, wrong, and fake. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. If you're concerned about our nation, our world, our culture, the next generation, then double down on walking in the light yourself, making sure that you are embracing the reality of Christ's light in your own heart and life and what is righteous and true. And you're pursuing that in your life, not in a haughty way, but in a humble way. And not in a way that says, I'm right, you're wrong, but in a way that says, this is what God has called me to and God loves you and I'm gonna show you love. Far too many of us as believers when it comes to to the light and the darkness, we're taking what the Scriptures say, and I have people say to me, and it grieves me as a pastor when people say, "I, I know what the Bible says, Pastor, but this is what the world is telling me about these issues. Even take something around gender. The Scriptures say God created male and female. And we need to hold to what the Scriptures say, not allow the world to redefine things. Now, does that mean we're gonna be rude or caustic or argumentative. No, we're gonna be loving to people who are struggling with gender issues. We need to be loving to people who who are struggling with the struggles of the LGBTQ community. We need to be loving, but we need to live in the light and we need to accept what is light according to the scriptures. We need to live that in our lives so that our light exposes that darkness and it gives us to an opportunity to show radical, selfless, sacrificial, sweet love for those who live in the darkness just as Jesus did for us when we were in the darkness. Question number two, are you being good? See when it comes to sacrificial love, the, the word is, is simply, are you being kind? It, when it comes to moral clarity that we need in our lives, are you being good? Morally good? We talked about last week, not just your reputation, but your character, who you are when no one's looking. Are you being morally good? Maybe the Spirit of God is speaking to you and he's shining a light on an area of darkness, a shadow in your own life where you're excusing what you're looking at online, where you're excusing the language you use, the stories you tell, where you're excusing the decisions you've made, the way you've treated other people. You need to confess and repent of those things and pursue the moral clarity that comes as we walk in the light and with the one who is the light of the world, Jesus. Told you the story before, but I just love this story how our little dog, Mabel, who's part chihuahua, she loves to lay in the sun. I think she's really like a a prairie dog or something because she loves to just go out and lay in the sun. It could be 100 degrees, ah, just loves the sun. So in the house, she'll find a spot of sun on the steps, and as the sun moves across the sky, sometimes the light that she's laying in will start going up the wall. Now she's in a shadow or dark, where the light isn't shining. And so she goes to the wall and she scrapes on the floor or the wall trying to pull the light to herself. Some of us as believers try to do that. We we don't want to stand out in the world with our moral clarity, and so we're trying to say, no, no, this is where the light is. No, Christ is the definition of the light as he is revealed in Scripture. And the light that we're to imitate, that we're to reflect, is found in the word of God, not in the opinions of our world. We can't just say, this is now light. No, the light is laid out. We need to walk in it. We need radical love and moral clarity. The problem is, how do we have radical love and moral clarity in a world with hatred and division and a world of darker confusion and deeper immorality? How do these two things go together? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. So I think there's a third component that is brought up here in this passage, verses 15 through 17. If we're gonna imitate Christ, we internalize and embrace his love so that our hearts are changed and we have a radical love for people around us every day. If we're gonna imitate Christ, we see the light, we understand his standards, his righteousness, what is good, right, and true, and we walk in that light we pursue that light when we step into the darkness we confess it we repent of it and we return to the light and as we allow the spirit of god to change us on the inside out we begin to shine brighter and brighter as we walk with our god and he transforms us and we imitate christ but then there is a third component that paul addresses that i think you cannot unlink to sacrificial love and moral clarity it's spiritual wisdom It's spiritual wisdom. We need wisdom in this world. I think in the last two years, I've asked God for wisdom so much. I think many in the church have lost their minds, both on the left and the right politically. Because we're either embracing sacrificial love to the point that we no longer have moral clarity, or we're embracing moral clarity to the point we no longer show sacrificial love. But what we need is wisdom of how we're going to deal with our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our friends, who may be filled more and more with hate and division, who may be filled more and more with confusion and immorality. Take spiritual wisdom. And guess what? Paul told the Colossian church, Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all of it is in Christ, embodied him. That's why he lived in human flesh, not just to go to the cross for us. He could have shown up on Good Friday and gone on the cross, but he lived a life to show us how to live with radical love and moral clarity in a world that requires spiritual wisdom. Proverbs eight eleven says, For wisdom is more valuable than rubies. Nothing you can desire can compare with it. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. If you're struggling with how to talk to your children, your grandchildren, how to interact with that coworker who sees the world very differently than you do, or another believer that's walking in the darkness and making excuses for their sin or the views they have, can I encourage you to just ask God for wisdom? And you get up in the morning and say, okay, God, this is going to be tough. I've got to live with radical love and moral clarity in a world filled with hate and division and confusion and immorality. Lord, how how am I supposed to give me wisdom? Give me wisdom in that conversation today. Give me wisdom when the folks at work start to talk this way. Give me wisdom when I respond to an invitation to go to a place I can't go. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom to know when I lead with radical love and follow with moral clarity or I, I lead with moral clarity and follow with radical love. Give me wisdom, Lord. Christ is the embodiment of that wisdom. Look at verses 15 to 17. Be very careful then. Some of your translation says, be very discerning then how you live. And this is the third walk here. We're told to, in verse eight, to live as children right. light. That's the walk in the light. We're told in verse two to walk in the way of love. And now we're told how you walk, not as unwise or foolish, but as wise. How many of you, somebody tricked you on April Fool's, somehow they tricked you and you, you fell for it. Oh, not bad. A few of you are admitting it. Dick Thompson, you, you got tricked? Oh, your grandson tricked you, ah. You know, seriously, in life, we're not to be foolish people. We're to be wise. We're to walk in wisdom, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We need to be ready and available for God to use us, for God to shine his love and to shine his light in various conversations and relationships and interactions, making the most of every opportunity so that people can see the love of Christ and the light of Christ shining through us. Therefore, verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So if we're gonna have wisdom, what does that require? Well, first of all, he says be careful. Let me tell you, I find it agony. If you don't find it agony, I don't think you get what I'm talking about today. I find it agony to try to live with wisdom, and I mean a good agony healthy agony, to live in wisdom in such a way that I'm showing radical love to people that I disagree with, and I am living out moral clarity in a world that doesn't want it anymore. And I know some pastors, some churches, some some followers of Christ, some people on the radio and TV who represent Jesus and bloggers and social media people, they say it's really easy. It's just moral clarity, moral clarity, moral clarity. Oh yeah, and we love you. Or it's people who are saying, We just love everybody, doesn't matter how they live, no matter what they do, we just love everybody, and just love is the key. I find that everyday life, more and more, I have to depend upon Christ for wisdom to live out radical love and moral clarity in a world that is so confused and so dark. And if you have discovered it to be really easy because you're all about moral clarity, then you need some balance of sacrificial love. If you found, oh yeah, this is just easy, this Christian life, because it's all sacrificial love and no moral clarity, then you need to embrace moral clarity. You say, well, Jesus lived that way. How'd it work out for him? They crucified him. He said, if they hate me, they're gonna hate you. So to live with moral clarity and sacrificial radical love should be distinct. We've got to be careful. We've got to be discerning. We have to make the right choices. Then be available. Be ready in the moment to show love, to live in the light because the days are evil. And then we've got to be intentional. He says in verse 17, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You want to know how you find the Lord's will? Start with God's word. People will say to me, oh, I really want to know God's will for this. And I'll say, have you been reading God's word? No, because this really isn't in the Bible. Well, you begin to get his perspective, his views on life and morality and love and how you live in the world from the word of God. And the more you're in the word of God, the more you know his written will, the more you will understand his unwritten will. The more you understand who Jesus is and you ask God's spirit to conform you and make you like Jesus, the more you will live out his will. Don't ignore the scriptures. They reveal who Christ is. They reveal what real, radical, sacrificial, selfless, sweet love is. They reveal what true morality is, what it is to walk in the light as Jesus walked in the light. And then we have wisdom given to us as we walk with God and rely on the Spirit of God to live in this world with discernment, being careful, seizing opportunities, and then being intentional to live out the will of God so that more and more people can come to Jesus and enter his kingdom as they see Christ in us. Are you being wise? See, the first question is, are you being kind? Do you show radical love to people? Are you being good was the second question. Do you have moral clarity in your life? When it comes to spiritual wisdom, are you being wise? Maybe the Holy Spirit has shown you It's kindness you're struggling with, it's goodness you're struggling with, it's wisdom you're struggling with. And go back over this, go back to this passage, memorize these scriptures, speak to one of us on staff, reach out to a brother or sister in Christ, talk to your small group about this. Find ways to grow in the area you need to grow in because this is like a three-legged stool. This is like a three-legged stool. We talk about imitating Christ, Not, not impersonating, we're not talking about. Outwardly looking like Jesus with no or little inward change. We're talking about radical transformation from the inside out so that people can see Jesus in us. Imitating Christ is radical love. That's one leg of this stool. Secondly, it's moral clarity. Thirdly, it's spiritual wisdom. Asking God to guide you through how you navigate this life with radical love and moral clarity. And that brings us Christ likeness. And oh, how our world needs not to see Christians, they need to see Christ. They don't need to saw, see Sean, they need to see Jesus. Simply another way to put this, Christ likeness involves kindness, goodness, and wisdom. If you leave one of these out, it collapses. I know how our world needs followers of Jesus who imitate him and are kind, good, and wise. Are you impersonating or are you imitating Christ? You're just on the outside with little little or no change on the inside trying to love others, trying to live in the light, trying to be wise. Are you allowing the Spirit of God to radically fall on you afresh and change you and mold you and make you more like Jesus so that others can see your kindness and goodness and wisdom lived out every day in you? Father, help us to get a fresh glimpse of Jesus. Lord, we have a world that's shouting, there's hatred. Hatred comes from all different directions. There's division, there's confusion. May we understand the clarity you give to walk in life. May we understand the love we're to show. And Father, give me, give me the wisdom as a a man, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a follower of Christ, to live in such a way that people know me to be kind they know me to be good they know me to be wise father the world doesn't need to see any more hypocrites they don't need to hear any more people screaming at them or shouting at them they don't need to see any more people who give up on what the word of god says and just lives like they live they need to see people who are imitating christ radically changes from the inside out right where you said just talk to god maybe god showed you you've been a little harsh because you've been so morally clear. Maybe you've been wishy-washy on moral clarity and the light because you just see everything as love, 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 and there's no moral clarity. Maybe you've lacked wisdom, even in how you've communicated online. Ask God right now to speak to you in that area then reread the scripture each day this week and let God speak to you so that you can imitate Christ, you can follow God's example as seen in Jesus. Invite him to fall fresh in your life, to melt you, mold you, and make you more like Jesus.